difference. Today we want to look at uh, more closely what do we mean by the crisis and what are the uh, main causes, if you want, for the crisis in the church. While I'll take somewhat of a different approach in that regard to what you might be used to, uh, it's only as a means of broadening your outlook um, uh, on the present crisis. So as you know, since the Second Vatican Council, we have seen uh, several reforms introduced into the Church which have uh, done some tremendous harm uh, to the mystical body. It is almost today as though the Church was suffering from some sort of uh, autoimmune disease as a result of these uh, disastrous reforms. Many of the novel ideas which were approved of during the uh, Second Vatican Council go back to previous ideas of the secular world which uh, would find their way to the heart of the church, uh, if not directly, at least indirectly, through the various ambiguous texts of the council itself. Here I'm referring to primarily ideas which were promoted during the, uh, the Masonic French Revolution, such as equality, liberty and fraternity, uh, uh, which are secular humanist ideas and have always been promoted by uh, the enemies of the church. At the Second Vatican Council, uh, there would be an embrace, embrace of these ideas in the text of religious liberty that gave the impression that all religions have equal rights of expression in the text of collegiality that tries to reduce the church to a democratic organization and places the, uh, the Pope somewhat on equal footing with the bishops and the text on ecumenism that sought to imply that all religions are equally valid in their expression of the divine. The council then sought to, we can say, baptize and embrace such revolutionary concepts, which after the council would work to undermine the very heart and the mission of the church herself. And we today are now living to see the disastrous consequence uh, of these ideas as they've played out. Archbishop Lefebvre at the time and a number of other well-informed bishops opposed these ideas because they could see that if they were taken to their logical pro pro progression, they would do immense harm uh, to the church. And that's what we've seen today. Keeping in mind that all revolutions always require a removal of the old order in order to make way for the new. And that's what we saw, a removal of the, the past traditions, the customs and uh, the, the ideology of the church in order to make way for uh, a new revolutionary ideology. The problem with this new order is that it attacks the faith and the customs of the church and it introduces ideas and a spirit that goes against the ancient faith. Vatican II, we can say, uh, gave a rubber stamp to the revolutionary ideas that were long held by the enemies of the, the church in previous centuries. Some of these ideas we can say, uh, uh, if we want to give a, a clear expression to them in, in practice, are, are these. The firstly, the, we see the public promotion of modernist and false philosophies, which are both anti-scholastic and really anti-intellectual, being taught in Catholic universities and seminaries. We see secular humanists and secular humanism being promoted in place of the supernatural solution that our Lord and the Church had previously given us. We see the promotion of naturalism, that is, the exaltation of man and human values 
which work only to undermine the supernatural value of redemption and the grace given to us by our Lord. I remember the key, the key doctrine of the Freemasons is precisely uh, the promotion of naturalism. And that's what we see uh, being promoted by the church today. This humanistic, naturalistic outlook uh, to the world and to the problems of the world. And we see then also the promotion of the evolutionary or modernist ideas being promoted uh, in order to reject the Catholic notion of tradition, of revelation, of the magisterium of 20 centuries. No longer in their mind is there any unchanging truth, nor any dogma that uh, is to be held uh, as uh, for all time. Everything for the modernists is subject to change according to the time and the feeling of the people. And that's what we are seeing promoted today. We see uh, the pr practical promotion and exaltation of socialist and communist ideas under the guise of liberation theology, thus misleading the poor with a utopia rather than a real solution to their economic and political problems, which the church uh, in the past has very given some great uh, expression and clear ideas in regards to. Instead, we see uh, being put forth the exaltation of uh, socialist and communist ideas, which have really undermined the, 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 the social and economic fabric of various nations. These ideas have begun to permeate the, uh, within the church, so much so that even Bishop Athanasius Snyder, not so long ago, said, if the church uh, no more or sufficiently enough influences the world and its realities with supernatural gifts, grace, uh, light of divine truth, and instead deals uh, predominantly with affairs of natural and temporal realities, that is the social justice and ecology and so on, then the church closes herself in the, the temporal and deprives the world of eternal of heaven. And he goes on to add, the fact that the predominant activity of many of the official structures of the Catholic Church today, associations, commissions, and so on, is uh, isolated from the supernatural, from heaven, and is immersed in the temporal and in the horizontal, represents the core problem of the current crisis in the Church. And this is, again, Cardinal Athanasius Snyder confirming uh, the points that I previously made. And is this uh, has resulted in the disastrous effects which we are seeing uh, uh, within the, the world today. The Archbishop uh, uh, Lefebvre, on the uh, outset of these disastrous reforms, wrote to Paul VI saying, Let your holiness abandon that ill-omened uh, undertaking of compromise with the ideas of modern man, an undertaking which originates in the secret uh, understanding between high dignitaries in the church and those of Masonic lodges since uh, the, uh, before the council. There has always been a battle between the church and her enemies. Now uh, uh, the, uh, the church has embraced the ideology of the enemies uh, of the church. Uh, God in his goodness uh, raised up Archbishop Lefebvre, uh, so to speak, to speak out against these secular humanist ideas. He was not afraid to combat these errors because he was armed with the wisdom of the popes and the theologians who had addressed these issues long ago. The Archbishop, in his great work, I would say perhaps the best work he, he ever uh, composed, uh, only second to, to the uh, they have uncrowned him, is his work against the heresies. Here, the Archbishop 
simply pulls out the great wisdom of the popes and the theologians of the past and it clearly shows these false ideas uh, for what they are and, he, uh, and that they have been refuted and condemned in clear terms long ago by the ancient wisdom of the popes. This filled him with confidence for it is this that uh, was uh, the foundation of his rejection of the present ideas, not himself or his own opinion, but on the sure and guiding uh, light of the magisterium of all ages. While the Archbishop would initially receive uh, approval from uh, the church for his uh, seminary and his work of forming priests, it isn't hard to understand why not long after that he was, uh, some might say, uh, condemned by those in the hierarchy uh, for his work, which was later suppressed, uh, because no doubt it stood in diametric opposition to what they stood for, uh, and so he was not going to, uh, for long, go unnoticed. But nevertheless, the Archbishop was not deterred by the unjust suppression, uh, but would continue his work with confidence. And as he says in his declaration of 1974, we pursue our work of the formation of priests under the star of the aged old magisterium, in conviction that we can thus do no greater service to the Holy Catholic Church, to the Sovereign Pontiff, and to future generations. In other words, I do my work with the Church, for the Church, and for uh, in submission to uh, what the Church has always stood for. And it is out of love for the Church, out of love for the Sovereign Pontiff, and out of love for the zeal for the salvation of souls, and those who would benefit from our work to come. Writing at the, in those early times in the crisis, uh, uh, Monsignor uh, Ralph Gamba, in his work uh, uh, titled Athanasius and the Church of Our Time, points out that what happened over 1600 years ago, and talking about during the Arian crisis, is repeating itself today, he says, but with two or three differences. Alexandria, where the Arian crisis broke out, is the whole universal church, the stability of which is being shaken, and what is undertaken at the time by means of physical force and cruelty is now being transferred to a different level. Exile is replaced by banishment into silence of being ignored, killed uh, by assassination of character. And that's what we are seeing today within the church. Those who are, we could say, uh, stating the obvious, those who are telling the emperor he's got no clothes on, well, they're being cast out. And here when we speak about the, telling the emperor he has no clothes on, we're referring to the, the uh, pointing out uh, to the hierarchy that there is a clear absence of faith uh, amongst their teachings and uh, their actions. Commenting on this, this uh, episode in church history during the 4th century, during the Arian crisis, Father William Jungens points out that at one point in the church's history, only a few years before uh, Gregory Nazianzen presented his preaching, perhaps the number of Catholic bishops in possession of sees, as opposed to Arian bishops in possession of their sees or the diocese, was no greater than uh, something between 1 and 3% of the total. Had doctrine been determined by popularity, today we would all be deniers of Christ and their opponents of the Spirit. In the time of Emperor Valens, the, during the 4th century, Basil was uh, Saint Basil was virtually the only uh, solid Catholic bishop in all of the East who succeeded in retaining charge of his see. If it had uh, no other importance for modern man, knowledge of a history of the Arianism 
should demonstrate at least that the Catholic Church takes no account of popularity and numbers in shaping and maintaining doctrine. Else, we should long since have had to abandon St. Basil and St. Hilary and St. Athanasius and so on and call ourselves after Arius, Arians. In other words, the church doctrine isn't determined by number or popularity. It's determined by those who cling to the ancient faith. And we already saw that. Michael Davies, uh, uh, commenting on this point during the uh, Arian crisis, says that during a time of apostasy, those who remain true to the faith may have to worship outside the official churches in order not to compromise that faith. They may have to look for truly Catholic teaching, not from the bishops of their country, not even from the Roman pontiff, but to one heroic confessor who other bishops and even the Roman pontiff may have repudiated or excommunicated. Such is the situation today. We see clearly a battle between those in the hierarchy who have embraced the revolutionary ideas and those who oppose them. I want to, you know, I want to quote a point uh, that Cardinal Newman makes about this, this episode uh, during the 4th century, which is quite, I think, relevant to us today to understand how we are to see uh, or look upon, in my personal opinion, the present uh, hierarchy of the church today. So Cardinal Newman, in his uh, work on the, uh, consulting the faithful in matters of doctrine, states, referring to this uh, episode in church history, Aaron, Aaron Heresy states that, on the other hand, then, I say that there was, during the Aaron crisis, a temporary suspension in the Ecclesia Docens, in the teaching church. The body of bishops failed in their confession of the faith. They spoke variously, one against another. There was nothing after Nicaea of firm and unvarying consistent testimony for nearly 60 years. There were untrustworthy councils, unfaithful bishops. There was weakness, fear of consequences, misguidance, delusion, hallucination, endless hopelessness extending itself into nearly every corner of the Catholic Church. The comparatively few who remained faithful were discredited and driven into exile. The rest were either deceivers or deceived. And as you know, the faithful during that time, uh, the famous bishops, Bishop uh, St. Athanasius, he, he was exiled from his see. Uh, and he was he who uh, coined the term, they have the churches, but we have the faith. And today, today we can say with Cardinal Newman, perhaps, that, uh, uh, namely, that there is in practice a suspension of the actual uh, bindingness of the teaching authority of the hierarchy due to the erroneous and contradictory message uh, that is being put forth by them and has consistently been put forth by them uh, since the Second Vatican Council. And so until the magisterium once more resonates, with one voice, with one chorus, with the voice of the past, in clarity of her doctrine and her doctrinal expression. Until then, we maintain our reservation of anything that comes forth from the hierarchy uh, uh, that is today, we have a hierarchy today that is deeply filled with the spirit of secular humanism and imbued profoundly with the poison of the heresy of modernism. Archbishop Lefebvre, uh, in his reaction uh, to the hierarchy, always uh, 
maintained uh, an unwavering faith in the, the traditional doctrine, but nevertheless always had a respectful attitude to those who occupied the seats of authority in the church. And in this, he is certainly a great model for us. Today, let me just conclude by uh, turning our, 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 our sentiments perhaps to St. Athanasius once more and asking him to grant us, like he did uh, during the 4th century, despite being opposed, uh, the old saying was of Athanasius, Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world. Despite the vast opposition, he was uh, generous in his zeal and enduring in his patience and faithful in seeking to uh, uh, trust in God uh, during that storm. So let us turn to St. Athanasius to grant us, like him, a, a generous zeal and a, a lively faith and a, a, a patience in the storm so that we may faithfully one day come to the harbour of salvation. Amen.